a Podcast One production. The voice is as individual as a thumbprint. And so we're all born with a voice that can express our whole humanity. Voice is much bigger than the pitch and the volume and the behaviours. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Way too often, my clients tell me they avoid speaking because they hate their voice or they hate hearing their voice back. This might seem like a light-hearted, self-deprecating comment, but it actually goes to the heart of so much more. To quote my guest, a voice can move us, connect with us at our deepest self and move others to action. It has the vast potential to influence and allow you to be heard. My guest is the voice coach, Lucy Cornell. For over 20 years, she's been working with some of the world's most influential leaders and their teams on what she calls the single most neglected opportunity in business. It's your voice. No matter what technical skills people have or training they've received, none of it matters if they can't express themselves and be heard. So in this episode, I want to investigate the concept of being heard and more specifically, being heard at work. Lucy, I first heard about your work from a senior leader who was blown away by the dramatic shift her team had made after they engaged you. What was the impetus for you to become the passionate voice coach and advocate of being heard that you are? It's certainly not a job you see advertised on seek.com. No, it's not a job on seek.com. I feel like it's a calling for me that I always was passionate about teaching and connecting with people and sought people who I resonated with. And so ended up following a love of mine, which was acting and performing in front of others and combined that with teaching and found an amazing teacher. Actually, I lived in London for a year and a half in mm-hmm. the formative 20, in my 20s, in my formative years. And I followed some of the great voice teachers in the great theatres there, like National Theatre and Royal Shakespeare Company, and fell in love with watching the transformation I saw in these beautiful rehearsal rooms with these great stage actors. And so I thought I'd come back to Australia and I'd find someone that would teach me that. And I found myself following some enigmatic women and followed a master voice teacher here in Australia, Isabel Kirk, who used to host Here's Humphrey back in the day. Uh, And she's an amazing voice teacher. She then took me to follow Kristen Linklater, who was her teacher. She taught voice for actors, but then I've adapted it over the years to be relevant to business people. And that's where I find myself now. Lucy, why do people come to you? Often it's that they've had feedback at work, that they're particularly on their voice or their presence or their confidence or their impact. Sometimes it's because they feel they can't be heard. Sometimes they feel like they're being shut down Mm. or they feel like they are wanting to move up in their career and they're feeling they're being capped at a particular position and they can't work out what's required at the next role. So I often work with lawyers who are moving into partnership. What does it sound like to be a partner of a law firm? What does it sound like to be a leader? And what's the shift that you need to make in your expression of yourself that's not just a mindset change? 
but it is about how, how do I sound like that tribe of people at that leadership level so that they accept me as that. Amazing. So I'm curious about this idea of people and their voices and mm. their self-esteem and this idea that I hate my voice. And mm. I said in the intro, people kept saying, I hate my voice. Is that just a surface thing that they don't like the sound of it, like I don't like the colour of my hair or something? <laughs> or does it go deeper than that? Do you, do you see a transformation yeah. with people when they work with their voice? To me, voice is a it's a marriage of you, your identity and your expression of that out on vibration. So it's a, it's a marriage of your psychological and emotional self and your physical vibrational self, if I can use a word that may seem a bit esoteric. But ultimately, it's the expression of your internal personal space, private space out to the public world. So it is confronting sometimes and uh, revealing to express yourself and reveal your private world out to the public. Uh, so sometimes people will say, I hate the sound of my voice because they're hearing it back through technology that's not very sophisticated and certainly not as sophisticated as our hearing is when we're sitting face to face with each other. And it's an interesting question because we are living in a COVID world now where everyone is communicating on technology and what do we lose by doing that? And I think that a lot of the time we're losing that energetic, telepathic connection that happens in real time with someone face-to-face. So it's just a little bit of a channel shift that you have to make when you're dealing with technology. Mm. Okay, so what happens for people when voice doesn't work for them and what do we need to be aware of? Everyone's so different. A voice is as individual as a thumbprint and so we're all born with a voice that can express our whole humanity and your voice is your birthright. So what happens over time with that expressivity is that we learn through the communities that we become conscious of being in at nine months and then we're aware of existing in and having to survive in throughout our young years, formative years, teenage years, through to career, is that there are rules about how voice is used and why voice is used. And these rules form our right to use voice in a civilised way. So this is like cultural norms that are actually forming what was naturally part of ourselves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so what we lose is the expressivity that we were born with because, you know, your family may have been one where you were the only child in the house and everyone was very quiet in the house and we and my parents worked full time and so therefore I had to sit quietly and I couldn't speak and so therefore I had to have a quiet voice now even as a 50-year-old woman, do you know, or I was one of eight kids and I had to fight for my right to have my voice heard and so I would be the loudest in the room and so then you find I'm at the board table having to dominate the conversation in order to make sure that people can hear my voice. So those psychological, emotional and physical habits can start from nine months even when you become conscious of yourself as a separate being from your mother and then get formed through all of the experiences that you have. So imagine school, university and culturally during the different periods, I was going to ask you, um, do younger people enjoy their voices more than people from the older generations like myself Mm. who were told as girls not to be loud and Mm. to be quiet and to let the boys speak up first? Mm. So... 
I'm wondering, do the younger generation have a much of more of an equity of experience with voice? Mm, you know, we have to have a whole other podcast, Margie, on women <laughs> and voice and gender and voice, because that's a big, great question that I do Generation love. Generation and voice? Generation and voice, absolutely. I worked with a woman many years ago who was a very smart actuary in a big business, and she was in speaking at the board table and full of men. And her CEO rang me and said, look, I really need you to do some work with her because she's very mousy and she can't engage the board with her intelligence. So she came and did some work with me and we did, you know, did a few sessions together. But very quickly I realised that she was very smart, feisty personality, but none of it was coming through on her voice. She had kind of a, she came off on her voice a bit like that, so she had no vibration in her voice, a bit breathy. And she had her head cocked to the side a bit and she, had, she was English, so she had this lovely sort of English flower accent. And uh, then she said to me when I was, she realised after a couple of sessions, she said, when I was young, the culture in England at the time was little girls should be seen and not heard. And so I was to be the quiet English flower in the corner. And so you could still hear it in her voice. So what happened was she lost that ability to communicate her rich, feisty vibrance and had lost that ability to use that channel when she needed to step up at a board table and deal with people pushing back at her. So we did some work together and she you know, realigned her body so she could find more breath and more vibration in her voice. She was great at it, went back into the uh, business and her CEO called me a, a week later and said, oh, look, thanks for that work you did with her. But uh, Unfortunately, today at work, she made someone cry. And I thought, okay, that's really good for me. That's a win for us. Uh, She was trying something new, obviously, but it points to culture and voice and generation and voice. Yeah, so culture and voice, that's one person you're working with. Yeah. How do you work with the whole system that has a way of expecting her to speak up and then when she speaks up too much, trying Mm. to put her back down? That's that volume control, you know. Uh, yeah. Just curious about that. How do you work with the system? I've been doing this work for 17 years with business people and I've adapted the voice work that I trained in for actors and made it relevant for business people. And I find that what I'm having to do is not deal with just the individual. I spent many years dealing with individuals coming into my studio and, and they would be telling me, a catalogue of stories of individual voice issues and why they can or can't have a voice. And I would be dealing with an individual that would say, I'm speaking in a you know meeting or I'm leading a team that's all men or I'm having to speak to people who are more senior than me and I have to sell into that or pitch an idea and uh, I can't get heard. And so I would spend a lot of time working on technique for them. But after a while, I was frustrated. I thought, no, this is actually a cultural question. And the organisation, the culture needs to take some responsibility for how voice is exchanged here. And so I felt there was more responsibility in looking at how is an organisation or a culture allowing or affording voice in order for that voice to bring their capability in and be heard. And I think that is actually what we're fortunate to be in as a culture now, is we're living in a time when shared voice is the norm. Black Lives Matter, Me Too movement, the Royal Commission's requiring us to feel as though we can have a shared voice. People are allowed to step up and use their voice. So I think that this generation, the younger voices, 
have been born into or cultured into a right to speak. Mm. And so there is, compared to our time, there's much more shared voice and the organisations are having to change, make changes systemically and structurally in order to afford that. So interesting. So we're aware we're going to say to ourselves, I need to allow my true self to be represented in my voice. So Mm. it's a sort of a mindset and individual choice. We're aware of that. We're aware of the conditions we're in and what's going on. What do we do? What are the things that we need to be mindful of in learning to express ourselves and be heard? Yeah. The first place to start is to get really intimate with your right to speak. Really intimate with your right to speak. Mm. Take me through what that means. It's our birthright. Your voice is your birthright. And because of all those cultured and civilising experiences you have in your life, some of them may have been supportive and you may have been celebrated for your voice. And some of them will have been contractive and compromise your voice. So I work from the inside out. I don't work from, you know, sticking on pitch and pause and volume, but look at what's your relationship with your right to be heard in that exchange if you have a problem with that first, there's no point in doing any of the technical work on top because your internal psyche will be compromised with your right to step in so that you'll be questioning, should I say that? Will they like me for that? Will I succeed with that? So all of that internal chat will compromise the physical vibrancy of your voice, the commitment to your voice. So number one is getting really connected to the fact that you have a right to speak. And coupled with that, how do you feel about taking up someone's time? Mm. Because that's what you're doing when you're stepping into an exchange is you're stopping time and you're filling the room with your capability, your intelligence, your emotional self. How do you feel about putting that on the table? And how do you feel about letting that land and then being responsible for the impact that that has. That really resonates for me because there's a client I've got who speaks in dot points. (laughs) And I said to him, you're very crisp. (laughs) Kind. (laughs) And he said to me, well, yes, because my father would have limited, like three Mm. minutes to pay attention to me. And I learned to speak to him in dot points. Mm. So dad, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And be out of the conversation. He's done that all his life and mm. he's succeeded in a very inattentive finance world so, yes. <laughs> um, where dot points uh, uh, conversations work. Didn't work for his personal life yeah. and uh, his kids or his partner. Yeah. So how do we take someone from speaking dot points to having different types of conversations? Mm. I imagine that you'd have to be able to be quite adaptable in the way that you use your voice. Mm. It's becoming aware of your patterns and your habits. So having someone like you is golden to have a mirror on what those patterns are. And it still blows me away how unconscious people are of what they're doing. And I think that's often because they're institutionalized inside a culture that they don't have connection to what their behaviors are. So it's getting some kind of mirror as to your behaviors. So that's always great. What often happens is I'll go into an organisation, speak to an HR and L&D learning and development person, and they'll say, oh, yes, I need you to work with XYZ. We don't quite know, but the feedback we're getting is that they don't have the presence or they don't have the confidence or they're not, uh, they don't have the impact. It's another favourite word. 
uh, or they don't, they're not able to influence in an exchange. So any of those words I see as a marker for what are they doing with their ability to step in and hold voice in the exchange. it's not the actual words. They've got the words mm. and they've got the intellect. It's actually how they're projecting their voice. And I right. quoted you in my introduction, which was a very powerful quote, Lucy, about the voice moves us, connects us with our deepest self and moves others to action, mm. which talks to all those points about presence, influence and impact. Mm. So I don't think many people connect voice to that. Yeah. Voice is much bigger than the pitch and the volume and the behaviours. It's your relationship to your voice and how you affect others. And that is what gives you the presence. You know, people often ask me how I need to be more confident in spoken communications. And to aim towards confidence is too hard because it's this nebulous thing that we're supposed to have. So I then go right back to Let's look at your patterns and your habits and see what's compromising your right to be heard in an exchange. So the first place to start is get intimate with your relationship with your right to speak and taking up other people's time. Second place is to do a bit of a diagnostic on what is going on. Sometimes it's really easy to start with the physical because the psychological and emotional part of voice comes from the physical If people are aware of their internal chat, which is, oh, I'm not very confident or, oh, I'm an introvert. So therefore my story is I am always going to be shy when I step in. That's psychological. They might already have a relationship with that. Then we can start there. But if we start the physical, that's a really easy place for mostly business people to start is because it's obvious. So by physical, I mean looking at what in your body contracts and reduces the space for your breath to move in and out of your body, simply, simply looking at that. Because if you've got unnecessary physical tensions in your body, then that's going to constrict easy flow of your breath to carry your voice out, your vibration out. And some of those tensions can be even in your feet, like if you're standing or even if you're sitting in a webinar or in a video conference and your feet are tightening into the ground or your knees are tight, your inner thighs are locked, or your belly's tightened, or, you know, I'm sure we can go a little bit further than that, your pelvis and your nether regions, if they're locking up as well. The butt clench. The butt clench mm-hmm. and everything else down there. If you're tightening up down there, that's the other end of your mouth, right? Yeah. So we want to clench jaw and butt at completely. the same time. <laughs> and anyone who's had a baby knows all about the relationship between those two, right? <laughs> so you want to have free release of your thoughts and feelings out that channel. you got to let it be open and relaxed. And when we're in high stakes, a seniority discrepancy or a power discrepancy or an emotional conversation or a confrontation, we will, as animals, contract in order to fight flight. And so there is some consciousness about what do I, what is my reaction in that moment? My belly tightens, my armpits tighten, my jaw tightens, my back of my tongue tightens. And then maybe you, you know, tilt your head to the side in an apologetic way. I'm making this up, mm. but everyone's that got sounds familiar. I've seen it a lot of times. And therefore the voice, the throat will or the belly will tighten up and so no breath goes in. So if you only have breath coming into your upper ribs or into your throat, 
then what comes in is what comes out. We'll only get a small bit of you. I remember somebody recommending reading children's books out loud. And I know I read the entire Lemony Snicket series, a series of unfortunate events to my kids with all the voices. And I know that really helped me in terms of my range and things. So Mm. there are a lot of practical things we can do Mm. on our own. Um, What are your top tips then for how I develop my self and my voice and my idea of this voice? Awareness Mm. gives us a choice. How do we remain aware of it rather than having this horrible bully in our head saying, (laughs) oh, your voice is terrible. We have to be kind. We have to be kind to ourselves about our voices. They're there to work for us and to champion your voice and to love your voice, to not judge your voice. Yeah, that one's huge, Mm, I think. Not judge it so that you can explore outside where you found yourself, your habitual voice as an adult. So you can start to explore other colours of your voice. When I do work with people, I will walk them through a process of exercises that fall into four categories, arrive, breathe, vibrate and speak. Arrive, breathe, vibrate and speak. Okay. And in a way, that's the tips. They're they're the tips that I want to offer. Arrive is, yeah, you've arrived in the room. I'm sitting here with you and we're here physically. But am I in this moment? Am I with you? You know, and, and the arrive is not just energetic, it's physical. So checking your body for those physical tensions and can you land and dock so that you can navigate each moment. So the arrive, breathe is are you breathing at all? Is the breath going into you're not. <laughs> are we? No, no, I am, you but are. I just think so many people so don't many even many breathe. People. They hold, hold their, breath. their breath. And don't even aren't even aware of their breath yeah. or what their breath is doing. So allowing a moment for breath to come into your body in order for you to release the vibration out with breath underneath it. When you are inspired, that's when your audience will be inspired as well. And allowing breath to come in will give you time to control each moment. True control, not white knuckle riding control. Or breathlessness. Or breathlessness, mm, right? Okay. And so what happens with breathlessness is that we just use the words like ticker tape, you know, the tip of the iceberg. I'm just giving you the information. I've got to get to the end quickly before anyone realises I don't know what I'm talking about. And see ya, gone. And we haven't actually allowed the idea to land. We arrive in it together. There's a breath between us. Our voice, your voice will have more vibration and resonance when you're physically relaxed and when your breath is supporting it. And that's when the words come out. Arrive, breathe, vibrate, speak. The speaking comes last, allowing yourself to be preceded by those energetic, physical connection points. So they're the tips. Amazing and useful. I'm actually thinking as we sit here about how I might utilise them. (laughs) Lucy, I'm wondering about this idea of sitting in the right spot. Mm. You talk about the physical internal mechanisms. Are there any things that we need to do to actually set up our environment or structure our environment to allow ourselves to be really set up for success? There's a relationship between the literal sound of your voice and your positional voice. So the literal sound is the quality of voice you have. So for the woman I was mentioning earlier, 
you know, she had her head cocked to the side and she was off her voice a bit. And, you know, so her vi- she didn't have much vibration and energy and life in her voice. That's literal voice. Positional voice is how you find, assert, communicate your position in the room. Okay. So I'm not talking about structurally where I sit in the position of the table. Certainly that has an impact. But deeper than that, even if you weren't sitting in the most powerful position in the room at the head of the table or wherever it is, it's working out your position energetically with the others in the room. I'm very, very interested in this deep layer of communication, which is the primal layer of communication. Oh, tell me more about that. It's the layer of communication that helps you define your position. So what happens in speaking is we have the top layer, which is the words. That's what we speak. We have to have that. It's the information. Underneath that is the subtext. So that's what's meant by what we speak. Now, there's can be discrepancy there, right? And that's mm. where it's kind of fun is that I can say one thing, but I actually mean something else. So, oh, I really like the project you're working on. You can hear that I'm meaning, I don't really, you can hear the butt coming, mm. right? Mm. Even though I'm saying one thing, I'm meaning something mm. else. So there's an interesting sometimes disharmony between those two. Mm. And what we do as humans is we will always smell the subtext, right? We always know the subtext, but we will sometimes mistrust the subtext because we're not trusting our inner voice and we will then go to trust the text. Okay. And we, we think that that's where the truth is, but it's not. Below the subtext is the emotional layer. So that's how we feel about what's being said and what the emotion in what's being said. So I might feel frustrated about the project that you're working on. You may hear that in my speaking because you can, if you tune into it, you can start discerning the quality of voice in someone. So you can hear my frustration. Below that is the primal layer. So that's the layer where we experience each other. It's the deepest, most subconscious part of the communication. And it's where we work out pecking order. This is a power dynamic. Mm, it's power. And when wow. you get into business, it's often about trading power. And I'm not saying it's bad, it's dirty. It's just that that's what it is. What it is, like negotiation. It's like negotiation, right. So you're coming into a room with people. So you ask about where do you sit at the table. When I walk into a room and I have a group of people in the room, I smell on a primal level what's going on. I hardly use the text until I get into permission from the people in the room that my voice is allowed. Or I work out who the animals are in the room. If we're going to talk primal, let's go animals. What animal behaviours are they displaying? So if you've got someone in the corner who wants to thump their chest a lot and demonstrate, mark their territory, you know, you might have a thumping ape who wants to thump their chest. What do you do in reaction to that? And often, and very often I speak to younger women who will say, I get threatened by that. And men too, but often hear women say it. And so they will contract. So then we go to the ABVS, arrive, breathe, vibrate, speak. The physical contraction is, you know, inner thighs, belly, armpits, mouth, brain goes into contraction into a little mouse. So if you're a big ape and a little mouse, who's going to win? So it's about redirecting that reaction because you, if you were to speak through a little mouse, you have no voice. You have no positional voice. You sound mousy. That's the literal voice. And you have no positional voice in the room. Mm. So the idea is not to speak at that point, but to listen to what the primal dynamics are. 
decide, and I'm going to give you two words, actually, if everyone wants a really good tip, here's two words, not yet. Not yet. Two words that you use as almost a, um, a circuit breaker for that moment when you want to react, to think, no, not yet. I'm not going to react to that. I'm going to arrive and breathe and land in my body and work out what's a wiser response to that. Then you work out what words you're going to use, what text you use. Because if you're speaking too soon, you can't get a voice in the room. You can't get positional voice. Lucy, how do we become heard at work? How do we feel comfortable with ourselves? Who do we choose to be at work and how does our voice enable that? These are quite deep questions and we've spent today really exploring the concepts around this. And I know you are a voice coach and people can come and see you. I do think there's enough here, though, for people to start to become aware of what it is they're doing with their breath, their body and their mind and how they can be better heard at work. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared today. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Margie. appreciate it. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.